Part One, Chapter Ten of the Tree of Heaven by Mason Clare. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part One, Peace, Chapter Ten. Three more years passed, and Frances had fulfilled her promise. She had taken Veronica. The situation had become definite. Barty had delivered his ultimatum. Either Vera must give up Major Cameron, signing a written pledge in the presence of three witnesses, Francis, Anthony, and Barty's solicitor, that she would neither see him nor write to him, nor hold any sort or manner of communication with him, direct or indirect, or he would obtain a judicial separation. It was to be clearly understood by both of them that he would not in any circumstances divorce her. Barty knew that a divorce was what they wanted, what they had been playing for, and he was not going to make things easy for them. He was going to make things hard and bitter and shameful. He had based his ultimatum on the calculation that Vera would not have the courage of her emotions, that even her passion would surrender when she found that it had no longer the protection of her husband's house and name. Besides, Vera was expensive, and Cameron was a spendthrift on an insufficient income. He could not possibly afford her. If Barty's suspicions were correct, the thing had been going on for the last twelve years, and if in twelve years' time they had not forced his hand, that was because they had counted the cost, and decided that, as Francis had put it, the game was not worth the scandal. For when suspicion became unendurable, he had consulted Anthony, who assured him that Francis, who ought to know, was convinced that there was nothing in it except incompatibility, for which Barty was superlatively responsible. Anthony's manner did not encourage confidence, and he gathered that his own more sinister interpretation would be dismissed with contemptuous incredulity. Anthony was under his wife's thumb, and Frances had been completely bamboozled by her dearest friend. Still, when once their eyes were opened, he reckoned on the support of Anthony and Frances. It was inconceivable that, faced with a public scandal, his brother and his sister-in-law would side with Vera. It was a game where Barty apparently held all the cards, and his trump card was Veronica. He was not going to keep Veronica without Vera. That had been tacitly understood between them long ago. If Vera went to Cameron, she could not take Veronica with her without openly confirming Barty's worst suspicion. And yet all these things, so inconceivable to Barty, happened. When it came to the stabbing point, the courage of Vera's emotions was such that she defied her husband and his ultimatum and went to Cameron. By that time, Ferdy was so ill that she would have been ashamed of herself if she had not gone. And though Anthony's house was not open to the unhappy lovers, Francis and Anthony had taken Veronica. Granny and Auntie Louie and Auntie Emmeline and Auntie Edie came over to West End House when they heard that it had been decided. It was time, they said, that somebody should protest that somebody should advise Frances for her own good and for the good of her children. They had always detested and distrusted Vera Harrison. They had always known what would happen. The wonder was it had not happened before. But why Frances should make it easy for her, why Frances should shoulder Vera Harrison's responsibilities and burden herself with that child, and why Anthony should give his consent to such a proceeding, was more than they could imagine. Once Frances had stood up for the three aunties against Granny. Now Granny and the three aunties were united against Frances. 
francis you're a foolish woman my folly is my own affair and anthony's you'll have to pay for it some day you might have thought of your own children first i did i thought how would i like them to be forsaken like poor ronnie you should have thought of the boys michael's growing up so is nicky nicky is fifteen ronnie is eleven if you call that growing up it's all very well but when nicky is twenty-one and ronnie is seventeen what are you going to do i'm not going to turn ronnie out of doors for fear nicky should fall in love with her if that's what you mean it is what i mean now you've mentioned it he's less likely to fall in love with her if i bring them up as brother and sister you might think of anthony bartholomew's wife leaves him for another man and you aid and abet her by taking her child relieving her of her one responsibility bartie's wife leaves him and we help bartie by taking care of his child who is our niece not yours my dear francis that attitude isn't going to deceive anybody if you don't think of anthony and your children you might think of us we don't want to be mixed up in this perfectly horrible affair how are you mixed up in it well after all francis we are the family we are your sisters and your mother and your children's grandmother and aunts then said francis with decision you must try to bear it you must take the rough with the smooth as anthony and i do and as soon as she had said it she was sorry it struck her for the first time that her sisters were getting old it was no use for auntie louie more red and more rigid than ever to defy the imminence of her forty-ninth birthday auntie emmy's gestures her mouthings and excitement only drew attention to the fact that she was forty-seven and edie why even poor little auntie edie was forty-five granny dry and wiry hardly looked older than auntie edie they left her going stiffly in a fence and again the unbearable pathos of them smote her the poor aunties she was a brute to hurt them she still thought of them as auntie louie auntie emmy auntie edie it seemed kinder for thus she bestowed upon them a colour and vitality that but for her and for her children they would not have had they were helpless tiresome utterly inefficient in all their lives they had never done anything vigorous or memorable they were doomed to go out before her children when they were gone they would be gone altogether neither auntie louie nor auntie emmy nor auntie edie would leave any mark or sign of herself but her children gave them titles by which they would be remembered after they were gone it was as if she had bestowed on them a little of her own enduring life it was absurd and pathetic that they should think that they were the family but however sorry she was for them she could not allow them to dictate to her in matters that concerned her and anthony alone if they were so worried about the scandal why hadn't they the sense to see that the only way to meet it was to give it the lie by taking ronnie by behaving as if ronnie were unquestionably bartie's daughter and their niece they were bound to do it if not for vera's sake for the dear little girl's sake and that was what vera had been thinking of that was why she had trusted them but her three sisters had always disliked vera they disliked her because while they went unmarried vera not content with the one man who was her just and legal portion had taken another man whom she had no right to and auntie emmeline had been in love with ferdy still there was a certain dreadful truth in their reproaches and it stung francis said to herself that she had not been wise she had done a risky thing in taking ronnie it was not fair to her children to michael and nicholas and john she was afraid she had been afraid when vera had talked to her about nicky and veronica and when she had seen veronica and nicky playing together in the apple-tree house 
and when she had heard ronnie's voice outside the schoolroom door crying where's nicky i want him will he be very long supposing veronica should go on wanting nicky and supposing nicky frances was so worried that when dorothy came striding across the lawn to ask her what the matter was and what on earth granny and the aunties had been gassing about all that time she told her dorothy was nineteen and dorothy at nineteen tall and upright was anthony's daughter her face and her whole body had changed they were anthony's face and body made feminine her little straight nose had now a short high bridge her brown eyes were keen and alert she had its hawk's look she put her arm in frances's protecting her and they walked up and down the terrace path discussing it in the distance granny and the aunties could be seen climbing the slope of the heath to judge's walk they were not dorothy protested pathetic they were simply beastly she hated them for worrying her mother they think i oughtn't to have taken ronny they think nicky'll want to marry her but ronny's a kid when she's not a kid he won't mummy ducky he won't she'll be a kid for ages nicky'll have married somebody else before she's got her hair up then ronny'll fall in love with him and get her little heart broken she won't mummy she won't they only talk like that because they think ferdy's ronny's father dorothy frances in horror released herself from that protecting arm the horror came not from the fact but from her daughter's knowledge of it poor mummy didn't you know that's why bartie hates her it isn't true what's the good of that as long as bartie thinks it is said dorothy london bridge is broken down right over my lady lee veronica was in the drawing-room singing london bridge michael in all the beauty of his adolescence lay stretched out on the sofa watching her her small exquisite childish face between the plates of honey-coloured hair her small childish face thrilled him with a singular delight and sadness she was so young and so small and at the same time so perfect that michael could think of her as looking like that forever not growing up into a tiresome bouncy fluffy flapper like rosalind jervis aunt louie and aunt emmeline said that rosalind was in love with him michael thought that was beastly of them and he hoped it wasn't true build it up with gold so fine veronica was happy for she knew herself to be a cause of happiness like frances once she was profoundly aware of her own happiness and for the same reason it was if you came to think of it incredible it had been given to her suddenly when she was not looking for it after she had got used to unhappiness as long as she could remember veronica had been aware of herself aware of herself chiefly not as a cause of happiness but as a cause of embarrassment and uncertainty and trouble to three people her father her mother and ferdie just as they were causes of embarrassment and trouble and uncertainty to her they lived in a sort of violent mystery that she incomprehensibly was mixed up with as long as she could remember her delicate childish soul had quivered with the vibration of their incomprehensible and tiresome passions you could never tell what any of them really wanted though among them they managed to create an atmosphere of most devastating want only one thing she knew definitely that they didn't want her she was altogether out of it except as a meaningless counter in their incomprehensible grown-up game her father didn't want her her mother didn't want her very much and though now and then ferdie who wasn't any relation at all behaved as if he wanted her his wanting only made the other two want her less than ever there had been no peace or quietness or security in her little life of eleven years 
their places and they had so many of them had never had any proper place for her she seemed to have spent most of her time in being turned out of one room because her father had come into it and out of another because her mother wanted to be alone in it with ferdie and nobody except ferdie sometimes when they let him ever wanted to be alone in any room with her she was so tired of the rooms where she was obliged to be always alone with herself or with the servants though the servants were always kind now in uncle anthony's house there was always peace and quietness and an immense security she knew that having taken her they wouldn't give her up she was utterly happy in the house with its long wainscoted rooms its whiteness and darkness with its gay clean shining chintzes the delicate faded rose stuffs the deep blue and purple and green stuffs and the blue and white of the old china and its furniture of curious woods the golden the golden brown the black and the wine colored bought by anthony in many countries the round concave mirrors the pictures and the old bronzes all the things that he had gathered together and laid up as treasure for his sons and the garden on the promontory with its buttressed walls and its green lawn its flower borders and its tree of heaven saturated with memories became for her as they had become for francis the sanctuary crowded with visible and tangible symbols of the happiness she adored sing it again ronnie she sang it again london bridge is broken down it was funny of michael to like the silly childish song but if he wanted it he should have it veronica would have given any of them anything they wanted there was nothing that she had ever wanted that they had not given to her she had wanted to be strong to be able to run and ride to play tennis and cricket and hockey and nicky had shown her how she had wanted books of her own and auntie frances and uncle anthony and dorothy and michael had given her books and nicky had made her a bookcase her room it was all her own was full of treasures she had wanted to learn to sing and play properly and uncle anthony had given her masters she had wanted people to love her music and they loved it she had wanted a big grown-up sister like dorothy and they had given her dorothy and she had wanted a little brother of her own age and they had given her john john had a look of nicky his golden white hair was light brown now his fine wide mouth had nicky's impudence even when like francis he kept it shut to smile her unwilling twitching mocking smile she had wanted a father and mother like francis and anthony and they had given her themselves and she had wanted to live in the same house with nicky always so if michael wanted her to sing london bridge to him twenty times over she would sing it provided nicky didn't ask her to do anything else at the same time for she wanted to do most for nicky always and yet she was aware of something else that was not happiness it was not a thing you could name or understand or seize or see you were simply aware of it as you were aware of ghosts in your room at night like the ghosts it was not always there but when it was there you knew it felt sometimes as if auntie frances was afraid of her as if she veronica was a ghost and veronica said to herself she is afraid i am not good she thinks i'll worry her but i shan't that was before the holidays now that they had come and nicky was back it seemed to her something to do with nicky and veronica said to herself she's afraid i shall get in his way and worry him because he's older but i shan't as if she had not been taught and trained not to get in older people's ways and worry them and as if she wasn't growing older every minute herself build it up with gold so fine right over my lady lee build it up with stone so strong 
She had her back to the door and to the mirror that reflected it, yet she knew that Nicky had come in. That's the song you used to sing at bedtime when you were frightened, he said. She was sitting now in the old hen-house that was Nicky's workshop, watching him as he turned square bars of brass into round bars with his lathe. She had plates of steel to polish and pieces of wood to rub smooth with glass paper. There were sheets of brass and copper and bars and lumps of steel, and great poles and planks of timber reared up round the walls of the workshop. The metal filings fell from Nicky's lathe into sawdust that smelt deliciously. The workshop was nicer than the old apple-tree house, because there were always lots of things to do in it for Nicky. Nicky, she said suddenly, do you believe in ghosts? Well, Nicky caught his bar as it fell from the lathe and examined it critically. You remember when I was afraid of ghosts, and you used to come and sit with me till I went to sleep? Rather. Well, there are ghosts. I saw one last night. It came into the room just after I got into bed. You can see them, Nicky said. Ferdy's seen heaps. It runs in his family, he told me. He never told me. Or rather not. He was afraid you'd be frightened. Well, I wasn't frightened. Not the least little bit. I shall tell him that. He wanted most awfully to know whether you saw them too. Me? But, Nicky, it was Ferdy I saw. He stood by the door and looked at me, like he does, you know. The next morning Francis had a letter of two lines from Veronica's mother. Ferdy died last evening at half-past eight. He wants you to keep Ronnie. Vera. It was not till years later that Veronica knew that he wanted most awfully to know whether you saw them too meant he wanted most awfully to know whether you really were his daughter. End of Part 1, Chapter 10 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine